a journey. Every time I see that video, I think I need more adrenaline in my life, you know? It's just like, what's wrong with my life, you know? Uh, We're continuing in our series that we're calling Onward, Stay the Course. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about staying the course in community. And kind of the big idea around that is that we need each other. To be who God created us to be, we need each other. And Brandon and Alex have a song that's going to highlight just that topic for us. Let's listen in. told you life was gonna be this way your job's a joke you broke you love life steal away it's like you're always stuck in second gear when it hasn't been your day your week your month or even your year well i'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour i'll Like I've been there before, I'll be there for you, cause you're there for me too. Still at bed at 10, work began at 8, you burned your breakfast so far, things are going great. Your mother warned you there'd be days like these, but she didn't tell you of you the whole time that that was playing, you were picturing the cast dancing around the fountain, weren't you? That's all you could think about. We're back to church now. We're not... Last fall, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. He's a pretty fit guy, and so I just wanted to ask him, like, what are the things that you're doing to stay in such good shape? And he started talking with me about 
hot yoga. And uh, I was just thinking, I don't, know if I, I don't know if I'd be so into hot yoga, but I'd done a little bit of yoga when I did a P90X deal several years ago, and I really liked it, just how it made me uh, feel and just the stretching and all those kind of things. And so I, I was actually kind of interested uh, a little bit in that, but even though I had done a little bit of yoga, I'd never done yoga for 80 minutes in a room that's elevated to a temperature of 105 degrees. And I've never done yoga with a bunch of other people in the room as well. And so I was trying to just get my courage up a little bit to think, could I actually do this? And uh, then there's this other problem that I have, and it's this, uh, I sweat a lot. And, and not like just a lot, I mean like a lot, a lot. When I, when I told my wife the first time that I was actually thinking about doing hot yoga, you know what her response to me was? She said, well, you better take a kiddie pool with you into that place. And so I'm a little bit self-conscious. And so then when I was thinking about uh, sweating so much, I asked my buddy, I said, well, like, what do you wear for a shirt? Like, what do you use to soak up the sweat? And he goes, well, most guys that go in there don't wear a shirt. And I'm like, okay, I'm out again. I'm totally out. But then this last week, uh, a buddy of mine came to me that he started doing hot yoga. And then he told me about this Groupon deal that you could get 20 sessions of hot yoga for $39. And, and I love deals. Like the F word to me is full price. I love to get deals in life. So I went out and I bought this, this uh, Groupon deal. So I got 20 sessions of hot yoga. And this last week, I went for the very first time. And it was awesome for about 20 minutes. And then I, as I just sat there, I just realized I don't think I can breathe anymore. And I started to get a little bit panicky and a little bit claustrophobic. And they made it absolutely clear when you went in there, you cannot leave the room. We closed the doors and you can't leave. Uh, that was just the rules. And so I'm just sitting there panicking, thinking, what am I going to do? And I was just thinking of the simple physics of the room. I know the whole room is hot, but I know the hottest air is at the top of the room. And so the coolest air has got to be on the floor. So I just laid down there. Everybody else is doing their yoga. And I just laid there. I just laid there and tried to calm down. And after, you know, I don't know how much time is passing by, but I kind of got relaxed a little bit. And then I tried to engage again in the yoga, but it's just like instantly I would get claustrophobic, and so I'd have to lay back down. And so I'm sitting here in this room with all these people around me doing yoga, realizing that hot yoga for me has just turned into a hot nap in a pool of my own sweat. <laughs> That's what I've signed up for here. And I could hear the instructor. She was going around the room explaining to everybody all the things that they were doing, all the things that I was not doing. And uh, suddenly her voice went away for a while, and then I hear this whisper in my ear. She says, you're going to be just fine. There's only about 20 minutes left. And so when you're sitting there doing 80 minutes of hot yoga, of which you only did maybe 20 of, you've got some time to think. And as I sat there and I lay there, I'm just thinking, I am such a noob at this hot yoga thing. I, how am I ever going to get to the place where I can actually do 80 minutes of hot yoga. I just thought there's absolutely no way. And this is what began to go on inside of me. I began to think about where I needed to get in order to accomplish what everyone else was doing. But I began to realize where I was at down here, there was a huge gap there. And like if you take a rubber band and you stretch it out, that gap that was created in my life started to create some tension for me. There was tension created. What am I going to do with this gap? There's one thing that I could do. I could just say, you know, hot yoga is dumb. You know, these people are crazy. I don't even know why they do that. And I just throw 
Just throw my coupon, coupon away and just say, I'm done with it. Or what I could do, how I could deal with that tension is I just say, I'm not going to try to do yoga for 80 minutes. I'm just going to lower the standard and I'm just going to do yoga for 15 or 20 minutes. And that's going to be just good enough for me. Or I can deal with that tension by saying, you know, I'm going to figure out what it's going to take to do the hard work to be able to, over time, be able to do what I see everybody else around me doing. I've got to figure out what am I going to do with the tension that that gap creates. Now, I know that you're sitting there and you're thinking, I did not come out here to the commons tonight to talk about hot yoga. I totally get that. But this is what I know is true. You may not have a gap in your life as it relates to hot yoga that's creating tension for you. But what I absolutely know is true is that you do have gaps in your life. There's places where you know that you need to be, places where you know you need to grow, but you're just not there yet. And it's creating tension in your life. You've got gaps in your marriage that are creating tension because you know you need to grow. You've got gaps in your parenting because you know you need to grow and how you relate and shepherd your kids. You might have financial gaps in your life. You might have knowledge and understanding and wisdom gaps in your life. You might have relational gaps in your life. And friends, you might have spiritual gaps in your life. And that's the last, the one, the last one that I just said is what I want to talk about today, that idea of spiritual gaps in your life. Because if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I can guarantee you without any hesitation that you have a spiritual gap in your life. Because if I were to just try to define as very simply as I could, what is a disciple of Jesus Christ? It's simply this. A disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who imitates his life. A disciple of Jesus is simply this, someone who imitates the life of Jesus. This is how John says it in 1 John 2, 6. He says, whoever claims to live in him, meaning a disciple, anyone who claims to be a follower of him or a disciple must live as Jesus did. And so we think about the life that Jesus lived and we think about our life. And if we're just honest with ourselves at all, we've just got to say, there is a gap there. And so we've got to just figure out that gap that creates some tension about where we're at and where Jesus is inviting us to be. How are we going to manage that tension in our life? Now, one thing that we could do is we can just act like that gap doesn't exist. We can just say, you know, that's Jesus. Nobody can be like Jesus. Why even try? Why bother? And just give up. Just put the rubber band down. Just let go of the tension in that way. But sometimes I think we can just focus on ourselves and just, we can kind of hate ourselves for where we're at, our brokenness, our sin, our shame, and just think, you know, there's just no way I'm ever going to get there. Why should I even try? Sometimes that's how people deal with the tension in their life. But sometimes I think what we can do too is instead of looking at the standard of Jesus, we can just lower the standard down. And it's, I, I'm not really going to try to live the kind of life that Jesus lived. I'm just going to try to live the kind of life that every other Christian lives. You know, I'm just like, I'm not going to try to be like Jesus. I'm just going to try to be better than the guy next to me. You know, and maybe this guy's a little bit more spiritual than me, got a little bit more going on, but I'm, I've got way more going on than this person over here. We, we don't set our sights on Jesus as our goal. We set our sights on each other. And you know what some people do? You know what some of us do? We just fake it. 
You know, it's like I know that there's supposed to be something going on that looks more like the life of Jesus, but I don't see that going on. It means what I'm going to do is I'm just going to fake it. I'm just going to pretend. I'm going to know the things that I need to say, know the things that I need to do, and I'm just going to pretend. I'm going to make this appearance out there so other people think that I have that kind of life going on, even when I actually don't. And the problem is, is that cuts us off from the lifeblood of the thing that's actually going to bring about the change in our life, and that's people. Because when we're faking it, friends, we do not want to let people get up close and personal in our lives. Because the closer they get, the more apt they are to see what's really going on underneath the hood in our life. And we can't handle that if we're faking it. So I started out here with the bad news. And the bad news is, is that you've got a spiritual gap. No matter how big you think the gap is, probably the worst news is it's probably actually bigger than you think. But there is some good news. And the good news is that God actually has a plan for you to close that gap, to be able to live the kind of life that Jesus lived. He has a plan A. And you know what that plan is? It's us. It's us. It's each other. God wants to use us. God wants to use each of us in each other's lives to help us close that gap. This plan that I'm talking about, sometimes we call it God's family. Sometimes the Bible talks about it being his church, his body, but it's God's plan A to bring about the kind of change in you to help you live the kind of life that Jesus lived. And that's why we're going to talk about today. Stay the course in community because it's God, God's plan A for us to bring about that kind of change. We're going to be looking at God's plan A in Ephesians chapter 4 of the Bible. What I love about this book and why I chose to teach from here around this topic is that the, the big picture of the book, one of the big themes of the book that Paul addresses is what is the role of the church? What is the role of this family of God in the life of a believer? And if you read the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul has just verse after verse, chapter after chapter, he's been talking about the amazing truths that are true of a person that's a follower of Christ because of their union with Christ, because they become a follower of Christ. They have a relationship with Christ. There's these amazing spiritual truths. But then Paul kind of does a diversion when we get to chapter four, and he starts to talk about, in light of these things that are true of you because you're in Christ, how then should we live? What should our life look like because of all these things that are true of us? And that's where we're going to pick it up in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The text says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And so he's been talking about this amazing calling, this amazing relationship. Now he's saying, live a life worthy of that. And so the question that would come to your mind is, what does a worthy life look like? And so if I were to imagine what I thought Paul might want to say to us, what this worthy life looks like, I'd imagine that he would talk about some spiritual activity in our life. You know, if you want to live a life worthy of this calling, read your Bible, meditate on Scripture, pray, fast, give, share your faith, read books about God, do these spiritual things, gather with other people to worship God, all these spiritual things. But you know what's interesting to me is Paul doesn't talk at all about religious activity. In fact, he doesn't talk at all about the vertical relationship with God when he talks about this life worthy of the call. He goes completely horizontal. He starts to talk about us and our relationships with others. Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 2 when he's trying to explain to us what does a worthy life look like? He says, be completely 
humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Isn't that interesting that he doesn't talk about religious activity, spiritual activity, but what he wants to talk about is he wants to talk about how do we relate to one another? Kind, humble, patient, bearing with one another. So here's what's interesting thing that I think we need to grab a hold of from this. If you want to take a thermometer in your own life, in your own spiritual life, don't necessarily gauge your spiritual activity. What are the things that I'm doing in the religious realm? Gauge it in terms of what are my relationships like with other people that follow Jesus? What are those relationships like? Are they healthy and connected? Or are they disconnected? Am I isolated? Because the family of God, it's not just a byproduct of our growth. The family of God, the church, is intended to be God's instrument for our growth. It's our relationships with one another and the things that God does in and through those that actually create the growth that we long to see in our lives, that close that gap and help us to live the kind of life that Jesus lived. And Paul goes on to try to emphasize this over and over. And you've got to understand the language that Paul and his culture that he's He's speaking into, and the language that he used, if you want to emphasize something, they didn't have exclamation points, but if you want to make something emphasized, you repeat it over and over. So think about that as I read what Paul talks about in terms of this worthy life, what this worthy life looks like. Continuing on in verse 3, he says, make every effort, meaning do everything you can, give everything you have toward this, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you hear that? Can you just hear Paul trying to use those exclamation points? I just imagine that if he was talking to us, he would be pounding the table saying, guys, it's about one, 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 one. It's about us being one. It is so important for us in terms of living the kind of life that Jesus lived. We need to be one. Why would that be so important to God? And why would that also then be so important to Paul? I think the hint that Paul gives us here is that we need to understand that this idea of oneness comes from the very character and nature of who God is. Because you see, God has existed for all of eternity in relationship There's been the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. From eternity past to eternity future, they've been in relationship with one another. And we've been made in their image. So we are relational beings that we were meant to be in relationship with one another and in a oneness kind of relationship with one another. That's why when Paul is talking there in those verses 3 through 6, he's saying there's one Spirit. And then he says there's one Lord, meaning Jesus. And there's one God and Father of all. It's in the very nature of God himself that calls us to be one. And that's why I think Jesus was so adamant when he was talking to his disciples about how the kingdom of God was going to grow. Because there was something that the world was going to observe in his disciples that was going to let them know there's something different there. These people belong to God. And he said, they're going to they're know that you are my disciples by what? By how you love one another. He didn't say they're going to know by your religious activity, where you spend your Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, how much you read your Bible. He said they're going to know that the kingdom of God is breaking in and that God himself is amongst these people and at work because there's going to be an 
amazing way that they love one another. We actually reflect the very character and nature of God and tell the world that God exists and what he's like by how we relate to one another. That's why it's so important to Paul and why it's so important to God and why it needs to be important to us. But you know what I love? As we continue on reading, we're going to see that this idea of unity never means uniformity. Never in the Bible does this idea of unity mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that we all need to think alike, that we all need to dress alike, that we all need to cut our hair alike. Probably thankful for that as you're looking at my hair. But it means that we can be different. There's a diversity, actually, that God intends and has orchestrated in the context of this unity that we are to embrace and is actually part of helping us grow up together with one another. And this is how Paul explains it as he continues on in Ephesians 4-7. It says, but to each one of us, grace, meaning a gift or an empowerment, has been given to us as Christ apportioned it. And then he continues this thought in verse 11 when he says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And the purpose of giving everybody those gifts in verse 12, it says, is to equip his people for works of service that the body of Christ may be built up. The reason that he's made everybody different with different gifts that they bring to the table is that that way we can build one another up. The strengths that you have are not the strengths that I have. The strengths that I have are not the strengths that you have. But when we all come together, we build the body up. And God has uniquely made us that way. It's in his design. I wanted to, if I could, just take a couple minutes to kind of quickly highlight some of those roles and gifts that Paul specifically talks about here. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, (laughs) teachers. And I want to share just a little bit of a description about those. And I want you to think a little bit about your own life and think as is maybe there's a a nudge in your own heart and you think, I think that might be how God has wired me. Maybe that's the contribution that I need to make. The first one is the apostles. And the apostles, those tend to be your kind of pioneering, visionary type people. They're always looking ahead to where the church needs to go. And they're seeing new frontiers and new opportunities and new possibilities that are out there for God's people. And they lead God's people into those things. And when I think about apostle, I think about our, our founding and teaching pastor, Brian Hopkins. I probably don't know anyone that has more apostolic type gifts than him. And I think about even specifically back to the, the whole deal that happened with the YMCA a few weeks ago. You know, I could have just looked at that article about the YMCA and having trouble getting some things through with the city. And I could have just said, man, bummer for the YMCA. That's too bad. But Brian reads the same article and in his mind, I, God nudges him and he sees the YMCA out here on the land at the commons and he moves on that and leads God's people into an opportunity that God would have for us, an apostle at work. And some of you might be wired just that same way. You see the next thing. They're the entrepreneurial type in this world. And then there's the prophets. The prophets are the people that have this incredible ability to just hear and listen and know the voice of God. They're able to just quietly know and understand what it is that God is saying and how it is that he's moving. They can just see his hand at work in things. If there was a word that I would use to describe the prophet, it would be discerning. They just see the fingerprints of God in things, and they help let people know within the body of Christ what those things are and lead people into that. And then there's the evangelists. 
These are the people that as they're thinking about the family of God, they're not just thinking about the people that are in this room here. They're thinking about the people that are not in this room here. And they love God and they love God's family and they want everyone to be a part of it. The evangelists are those people that if they're excited about something, they get everybody excited about something. When I think about a personality that's an evangelist, that's someone that you would know here around our staff, I think of Brandon Edwards. This is a guy that if if he's excited about something, he gets everybody excited about it. He's just so passionate about it. This last fall, Brandon asked me about going to the Star Wars movie because he was so into Star Wars. And when he asked me, my first thought was, I could care less about Star Wars. But the more that he talked about it, the more I just thought, if I don't go to this thing, I'm probably going to be missing out. Brandon doesn't just go to the premiere like every other Star Wars fan. He goes to the premiere with over 70 of his friends. That's the heart of an evangelist. When there's something that we're excited about, we want everyone to be a part of it with us. And that's what it's like in the body of Christ when there's people that love God and know passionately what it is that he's done for them. They want everyone to come in and be a part of it. So God has evangelists in our midst to show us how to do that. And then you have your pastors. Pastors are shepherds. Sometimes the text uses the word shepherd. And these are people that at a heart level, they just care for people. They care for people and they've got a tender heart. The words that I think of when I think about a pastor shepherd, I think empathy. I think compassion. They're the kinds of people that they just walk through life with their arms around people. You know, there, there could be a thousand things going on, exciting in the world, but if there's one person sitting in the corner that's hurt and broken, the pastors and shepherds, they're drawn to that person because they want to help them. When I think about the pastor shepherds in my life, I think about Doyle Stuckey on our staff, and many of you will remember Sam Summers. I mean, these guys are pastors among pastors. They care about people. You only have to be with those people for about five minutes, and you just think, they really love me. They really care about me. They really care about the things that are going on in my life. And God brings those people into the family of God and gifts them in that way to help us learn how to take care of people. And then there's the teachers. There's the teachers are the people that they just feel really strongly about holding up the truth of God's word. Because more than anything, they just want people to know who God is and what he's like and to relate to him in honesty and truth. And so they're always looking for ways to explain and enlighten people on who God is and what he's like and how we can relate to him and how we can grow in our relationship with him. God gives teachers because they know that if that truth of God's word is applied to their life, that it's going to bring about transformation in their life. God gives us teachers. And like I said, the purpose of of all of those gifts that God brings together is so that we would equip one another. It's not just for each individual to carry out those gifts, but that we would use those to equip one another for the works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. I want to kind of press a little bit into this idea because God has gifted everybody, every follower of Christ with a role like that, and the purpose of that is to equip one another. I just want to press a little bit. This is like, honestly, this is a little bit uncomfortable for me to do. Um, But I just feel like God is nudging me to kind of bring a little bit of challenge here tonight. And the challenge would be this. When you come in to this family, do you have an equipping mindset or do you have a consuming mindset? 
When you come into the room, do you have a, when I say consuming mindset, I just, is the thing that's forefront on your mind is, how am I going to be fed? How am I going to take care of myself? How am I going to get what I want when I come to the family gathering here at Journey? Or do you have an equipping mindset that not only says, what do I need, but what do the other people around me need? Because friends, I, I want, we want you to be fed when you come here, and we love it that you come here. We want to do everything we can to give you what you need. But at some point in our spiritual life, we've got to look past, what is it that I'm looking for me? And I've got to look outside and say, what do other people need? God, how can you use me to feed other people? And I want to tell you a secret that I've learned. Even if you're coming here tonight and you're just thinking, you know, honestly, I probably do just come here to be fed. If you make a decision to take a step of faith and think, God, how do you want to use me to feed other people? You will be fed more than you ever thought possible. Anytime that we take those steps of faith and we think about how do I invest in the lives of other people, what happens is that we tend to grow way more than the people that we're even investing in. Because if God's going to do something through us, he first has to do something in us. We feed ourselves when we make our lives about feeding others. And when we feed others, when we build the body of Christ up, this is what Paul says is going to be the result in verse 13. He says, until we reach unity in the faith, that oneness in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, that we grow up, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We all grow up and we become like Christ together. What I love about what Paul wrote there, and the English translation loses it a little bit because it just says that we become mature. But if you translated that word for word, it says we become one complete man or one mature man. The idea is that all of us together are to grow up together. And see, I think sometimes what we have to do is that when we think about our growth, we think what I'm going to do is is I'm just going to go over here as an individual and I'm going to work on growing up in my relationship with Christ. And I'm going to go over here and I'm going to work on me and I'm going to grow up in my relationship with Christ. But if I understand correctly what Paul is trying to help us get a hold of here, it's, that's not how it works in God's family. The idea is not that we do this as an individual, but that we do this, that we do this as a group, all of us together growing up, and we close that gap together because we encourage one another, we exhort one another, we speak truth to one another. We do it together, and that's the picture that God has for us. But this is the, the challenge that I see around our communities, it's just so easy just to drop in and drop out, to come in and come out. Never actually take the time to invest in people around you, invest in relationships, getting to know people. And if we want to close that gap and be the kind of person that God created us to be, we've got to take steps to move toward people. And then Paul says, when we start to grow up together, this is going to be the result for us. Verse 14, he says, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Paul uses this metaphor of an infant to try to help us understand this picture of what spiritual immaturity looks like, that he's trying to move us away from as a group, that we would move away from this together. And as I began to think about kind of that metaphor of an infant and look at my own spiritual life, I began to see a lot of connections there. Because if you think about an infant or a toddler, a young person, they're incredibly unstable. 
are they not? When you think about tossed around, I mean, they can be just so excited about life. Everything is going well. And then they look down and see that their shoe's untied and they completely lose it. Circumstances of life can toss them back and forth. And, back. and Paul's giving us this picture. That's what it looks like to be immature. But as we grow up in our faith, there becomes a steadiness in our life, a steadiness in our faith. That is, the things of life happen when challenge comes, when suffering comes, when temptation comes. We're not just completely bowled over by the things of life. We're actually able to be steady in the midst of those things. And you think about a, a young person to how self-centered they are. I mean, we're, we're not self-centered, but kids are often self-centered. There's, life is about them. It's me and mine, and I want what I want when I want it. But can't that be true of us, that we just become incredibly self-centered? Our life focuses on us. All we care about is what other people are thinking about us. We're thinking about how much we need to have the approval of other people around us when we're self-focused. We're offended, we're hurt easily when we're focused just on us. Paul wants us to move away from those things. And I think about too how a, a young person, a toddler, they can be so easily distracted. They can be absolutely dialed in on one thing in life at one minute and then you just jingle some keys over here and you know, their attention is completely over here. Don't you feel like that sometimes in our spiritual life? It's like you can just feel like, man, I'm really dialed in on the things of God's kingdom right now. But then distractions in life come. The allure of money and sex and power and ambition. Those things just cause us to move completely away from the things of God's kingdom and chasing things that we would have never chase otherwise. You know, as I thought about this picture of immaturity. You know what I hated about writing those things down is just that I saw so many of those things in my own life. And I just looking at those things and I, it's like, doggone it. God, I've got to grow up. I've got to grow up and be mature if I'm going to live the kind of life, God, that you want me to live. But here's what I think is true. I don't think we need to be shocked by immaturity and I don't think we need to be ashamed of our own immaturity in life. But I also think we can't sit in our immaturity in life We've got to get about it with one another, moving toward the things that God has for us. Just thinking about it, it's like a bicycle. You've got to just keep moving toward it or you fall over. A bicycle has to keep moving or you fall over. Immaturity is not bad in and of itself, but if we stay there, it's bad. We've got to keep moving toward one another. As I was thinking about how to wrap this up, what would be an encouragement to make the next step and Actually, very intentionally throughout the things that I've said, I've never tried to give a picture of this is what it looks like to move into relationship. This is what it looks like to move into community. Because what I absolutely believe is that that can look unique for every person in this room. And I think God has a plan for you to move you toward community that would be better than anything that I could suggest to you. So just a little bit, I'm going to give you a time that you can just sit and reflect just for a minute and ask the question, God, what are you saying to me? about community? What is the next step for me? What is it that you want me to do to move toward people, to be a part of your community and move toward that oneness? But the two suggestions that I will give you is I think when I think about what keeps people out of this in their life, there's two things that you're going to have to do. One is that you're going to have to make time to do it. You're going to have to make time because you can't build the kind of relationships that Paul's talking about here by just saying hello in the lobby when you're passing with other followers of Christ. You've got to log time with one another, get into each other's lives. 
You've got to build a rhythm into your life that creates opportunities to be with people on a regular basis. And the second thing that you need to do, you not only need to make time, but the second thing that I think you need to do is you need to make room. When I say make room, I mean make room for people. Because some of you might say, you know, I have a community. I have a community of people that I love to be a part of. Well, if that's the case, make room for more people to be a part of that community with you. Because as excited as you are about your community, there are people that have none, that are living in isolation, and they're not experiencing the things that Paul's talking about here. Make time and make room for people. I'm just going to ask you to put your things aside. And again, like I said, I want you to just ask those two questions of the Father. God, what is it that you're saying to me about this? And what is it that you want me to do? Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.